Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right, what's up everybody and welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you're here and always happy you're listening. Well, I saw Bernie Sanders on Face the Nation, and I just couldn't help myself. I've got to do a show on this guy. This guy is, he's like the quintessential politician who thinks that government is the solution for everything. And he he doesn't ever really talk about what government can do in these solutions, but he is very quick to point out, um, you know, the, the struggles, the ills uh, that are that are difficult, or the difficult. Let's say that the the difficulties that Americans are dealing with in the economy. And co- of course, we talk about that here too. Um, but the difference is the guy has no clue whatsoever about why these things are difficult for some Americans. Um, He talks about working class people as if that's a particular type of person or a particular group of people. For example, I I consider myself working class. I mean, what does that mean anyway? We, we We work for a living. We get a paycheck. We trade our time for money. That's working class. Um... And things are expensive, and we've talked about why things are expensive here on this program. But Bernie Sanders somehow imagines that his plan, whatever it is, somehow can make things more affordable for people simply by passing laws or increasing regulation at the federal government level. And this is just a pipe dream. And the guy has unlimited energy for somebody at 81, um, but he's maybe the most wrong politician that I've ever seen. I mean, the guy doesn't understand anything, but he sounds like he does, which is interesting. Him and Pete Buttigieg, it's a, it's a close race for who can sound... Uh, more believable, but not have a single idea about what they're talking about. Um, anyway, Bernie Sanders is is kind of this likable, uh, you know, older man who, um, you know, he's not out at, you know, you don't get the impression from Bernie Sanders that he's trying to step on your back to get somewhere, you know, and this is an appeal you know, this appeals to younger people and, um, and certainly progressives, people that have, that somehow imagine that the government planning, whatever that planning is, can somehow lift people out of poverty or make their lives otherwise um, easy or easier. And um, I just want to address some of this today. I don't know if we're going to get through his whole you know, the whole interview with um, Margaret Brennan 
on Face the Nation. It's it's a long interview. It's like it's like twenty five minutes, and the show, as you know, is only about thirty five minutes. So uh, I've already spoken for uh, about four minutes. So I would have to just not say anything else in order to get the entire show on here, which is not going to happen. But let's go ahead and get started. Let's play some of her questions, and more importantly, let's listen to what Bernie Sanders has to say, and I will be back momentarily to rebut everything he says, or at least the most egregious things that he says. Bernie Sanders, who is out with a new book, It's Okay to Be Angry About Capitalism. Good morning, Senator. Good to have you here in person. Thank you. Well, I think the American Rescue Plan that we passed early in his agenda in the midst of the terrible pandemic, the economic collapse, was in fact one of the most significant pieces of legislation for the working class of this country in the modern history of America. Uh, Build Back Better uh, would have been transformational. Uh, It would have finally addressed the crises that the working class of this country has faced for decades, revolutionized childcare, revolutionized healthcare, dealt boldly with climate change, raised wages, and it would have done a whole lot. But the votes weren't there. We got zero Republican support and two Democrats uh, decided not to support it. Well, the American Rescue Plan was definitely transformational. I mean, it it caused inflation to shoot up to 40-year highs, and it's still, uh, we still have inflation, by the way. Uh, The PPI was out the other day, and it ran a little high. So, you know, inflation is not coming down. Um, it's, it's maybe getting worse or it's maybe, maybe it's trading sideways for a little while, but then it's going to make a new leg up. The other thing, this uh, build back bitter, but he meant to say better, um, it failed with bipartisan support. You know, had this passed with just two Republicans and all Democrats, they would have called it a bipartisan bill, but it failed with no Republicans and two uh, two Democrats that voted against it. So it failed with bipartisan support, uh, but notice they don't characterize it that way. So I think that's interesting about uh, about these about how they do that. You know, they basically talk about bipartisanism when it favors them or when it's in line with um, the direction or the, the the outcome of the bill that they want. But then if it fails with bipartisan support, they don't say anything about bipartisanism. <laughs> it's just kind of an interesting uh, little observation. President Biden points to them as achievements, but you diminish them a little bit in this book. You point out Medicare won't be permitted to negotiate lower drug prices until 2026. The cap on out-of-pocket prescription drug costs for seniors doesn't kick in until 2025. $35 cap on insulin prices doesn't help those who aren't on Medicare. Are you saying he hasn't delivered? No. I mean, look, this is the real world that we live in, is that you need 60 votes often in the Senate. Uh, and Democrats had a slim majority in the House. Well, whether Bernie Sanders thinks these are achievements or not is beside the point. Um, what you're going to see, it's just like the other day when we were talking about this this derailment in Ohio with all the chemicals spilled. The, the question 
that really should be asked is, why are these chemicals on the train, right? It, it's very similar uh, to this situation. Guys like Bernie Sanders just charge off in some direction uh, with some goal, you know, to pass a law to cap uh, the price of insulin. Regardless of, uh, of what it costs to produce insulin, okay? And I understand there's this, we've got this thing going on in our country where Americans pay higher for drug prices than Canadians or people in other parts of the country. It could be because we're effectively subsidizing um, the, uh, the development of these, of these drugs. And these other countries aren't paying for that. Only Americans are paying for that. And, and I, but, but recognize, okay, recognize that that of its, in itself is an intervention. That's not the market, okay? That's, that's the drug company saying, hey, that's them lobbying Congress and saying, hey, let us charge Americans more for these drugs and we'll supply them at lower cost uh, to Canadians and to Mexicans and to other places in the world, Europe maybe, I don't even know where. Uh, but that in itself is an intervention. So he doesn't even, he doesn't even address that. He just, he just, well, he does address it in, in the fact that he says that Medicare uh, can't negotiate drug prices. Well, that is also an intervention. Right? I mean, why can't Medicare uh, negotiate drug prices? Uh, everybody else negotiates drug prices. I mean, negotiation of a price is just part of buying stuff. Um, that, that's just the way the market works. Um, I sell software and hardware, and customers negotiate with me all the time. They say, hey, your price is a little high, your competitors are a little bit lower, you need to bring your price in line and maybe they give me some specific, you know, direction. Uh, maybe they don't, maybe they just buy from somebody else. But the point is buyers and sellers haggle. That's the nature of buying and selling. And to the degree we don't have that, uh, in our government, that in and of itself is an intervention into the market. But what I am talking about, Mark, and what the book is about is taking a hard look at the reality facing working families in this country. And the truth is that today over 60 percent of our people are living paycheck to paycheck. So the question that I am asking is why in the richest country in the history of the world, why aren't, why don't we have a health care system that works for all, mm -hmm. where people can walk into the doctor's office as they do in Canada without having to take out their wallet? Why do we spend twice as much per capita on healthcare? Why do we pay the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs? So we have seen some achievements, but given the scope of the problems and where we should be going, nowhere near enough. We also have one of the most innovative healthcare systems when it comes to creation of pharmaceutical drugs. You are doing this. No. So when someone hears you lay out the problems with our pharmaceutical industry, as you do in this book, it's say, but the life-saving vaccines, for example, for COVID, they were created by the United States of America. They were created by the pharmaceutical system with by, taxpayer help. Sure, of course the drug companies produce great drugs, 
but one out of four people in America cannot afford the, the drugs that their doctors prescribe. You tell me why we pay 10 times more for some drugs that are sold in the United States compared, say, to Canada or to other countries, while year after year, the pharmaceutical industry makes tens of billions of dollars in profits, pays their CEOs exorbitant salaries. So, of course, we want the drug companies to do the research and development. So Bernie wants to know, why are people having to live paycheck to paycheck? Well, we've talked about that on this program, and it has to do with um, inflation. It has to do with regulation. It has to do with government making everything cost more than it otherwise would cost. And you can go back and listen to some episodes in the past where I've talked about the standard of living and how um, the, the creation of credit and money by the Federal Reserve makes every year that goes by feel like it's harder and harder to do these things that Bernie Sanders is talking about. But he doesn't, he doesn't look at that. He just he looks at the drug companies and he says, they're making billions of dollars a year and, and their CEOs are making hundreds of millions of dollars a year and, you know, how, whatever his accent is. I mean, he just, he, he can't envision a world where a company makes a lot of money but then also makes great affordable products. And it's not that hard to do. I mean, look at Apple. Apple's a great example. Apple makes great products. They're generally perceived as affordable. I mean, people who are fairly low income tend to have these uh, phones in their hand. If they're not Apple, they're, they're Android-type phones. And, uh, and Tim Cook makes, you know, big millions and millions of dollars. And Apple itself makes billions and billions of dollars. But he doesn't point to that. If you notice something about Bernie Sanders, he's always talking about areas of the economy that are already regulated by government and complaining about how expensive it is. Healthcare is, is one of the biggest. And, and what does he want to do? What's, what's Bernie Sanders' solution? Have Medicare for all. Double down on the, the regulation, the government involvement, and, uh, you know, just make it worse. Now, of course, she she brings up, yeah, but the drug companies, you know, are very innovative. And and look at our COVID vaccines, how innovative. I mean, we were the ones that did that and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he, he says, well, of course they're innovative, you know, like it like it's just automatic, like like it's not even hard work. You know, of course they're innovative. But we need to make sure it's affordable. Well, look, Bernie, if you want to make it affordable, then get get out of the healthcare business. Get the federal government completely out of the healthcare business. And I mean out of Medicare, Medicaid, just everything. Um, and you will see the price of healthcare come down, come way down. In fact, we'll go from being twice as expensive as other industrialized countries to probably being half as expensive as these other countries. The problem is guys like Bernie Sanders just can't see it. They can't see it because they think there's something magic about passing laws. Um, and, and there's just not. There's just not. And by the way, taxpayers in this country spend $45 billion a year through the NIH to help with that research and development, including 
Moderna and the vaccine. You're talking about Moderna. Pfizer didn't take that Correct. that money, but Moderna, you're you're sharply critical. In fact, you're you're chair of the Senate's Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, and next month you're calling in Moderna's CEO to right. testify. Um, you're critical of his plan to quadruple the cost of the COVID vaccine. Well, Can you stop him from doing that? Well, here's the story: taxpayers, the NIH co-authored, worked together to create the vaccine. Right. Taxpayers put billions of dollars into the development of the vaccine, guaranteed sales for the vaccine. As they did with many other companies. Yeah. Too. All right. And then what happens after the government stockpile of the vaccine expires? These guys say, well, we're going to quadruple the price of the vaccine. And by the way, in the last two years, the CEO made five billion dollars and his other guys made billions of dollars. Is that really what should be happening? Truth is, pharmaceutical industry is enormously greedy, charging us outrageously, uncontrollably high prices. We have got to deal with that. As chairman of the relevant committee, I intend to do what I can. I love this part because he talks about that uh, all this research and development happened through taxpayer money with the NIH. And this is, this is after we've just been through COVID. And look at all the corruption. Look at all the lying. Look at all the, the manipulation in the market, how they, they work behind the scenes to take away doctors' licenses and all this stuff. I mean, forget about the fact that it's expensive. Look at the manipulation and the groupthink and the forced, the forced groupthink that's happening in the background. So none of this is, I, I guarantee if you had Medicare for all, you would you would never get to go to the doctor. <laughs> you would it would just never happen. You'd be like, I need to go to the doctor. I feel like I'm gonna die. And they'd be like, uh, sorry, uh, we we're booked for the next eight weeks. Call us back. You know, we can book you for eight weeks out. You know, I mean, the the nature of any the, look the same thing happens in Canada. Don't kid yourself. People, you can get in and go see a doctor. If you have a cold or something, because they have plenty of primary care doctors, they have no specialists. They have they don't have heart surgeons. If you if you need a heart surgery, you have to book that out like months in advance. I've had heart surgery. I can just tell you that once the decision was made to do heart surgery on me, I was in there like a, the next week. You know, I mean that that doesn't happen in Canada. You you often will die waiting on for whatever waiting on surgery for whatever procedure you need. That's just the way it is when you have government run healthcare. They have to ration it. Um, yeah, so that you know, don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. All that that's a huge intervention into the market. And uh, believe me, government is not good at it. And the question of the book again is that how come? We have so many people who are struggling. We have a dysfunctional health care system. Our child care system is in disarray. We got millions of elderly people who have nothing in the bank mm -hmm. as they face retirement, and yet the people on top are doing phenomenally well. Mm -hmm. And Margaret, what the book is about is saying that we have more income and wealth inequality today than we've ever had. We have more concentration of ownership in sector after sector than we have ever mm -hmm. had. We have a political system which is increasingly corrupt because as a result of Citizens United, billionaires can put enormous amounts of money into it yeah. to elect their candidates. And we have 
you know, eight major media conglomerates, corporate media conglomerates that control about uh, about what 90 percent of the American people see, hear and read. Those are really issues that we need to discuss. That's what the book does. Bernie Sanders is at his best when he can just string together all these ills facing uh, the United States. It's just rapid fire uh, issues. But what you'll notice on most of the things that he talks about, the government's involved in. The government's regulating. Um, for example, how come we're struggling? Well, because you have control of the money, Bernie. You and the Federal Reserve, and you're constantly undermining the value of the money. We need an honest money system. That's why your quote-unquote working-class people are struggling. Is because every year, whatever productivity increase they manage to put together for themselves in the, in the form of um, increased knowledge uh, or working smarter with capital or whatever, uh, you turn around and steal it from us in the form of inflation. And nowhere has that been more apparent since uh, 2020. A healthcare system that is two times as expensive as any other healthcare system in the entire world. Um, it doesn't work for most people. Although I will say, what's wrong with having to get out your wallet when you when you go to get healthcare? I mean, any other service or any other product that you buy, you have to get out your wallet. Um, just because Canada, you can show up and you don't have to take out your wallet doesn't mean that's what we need to do. In fact, what we need to do is pull out our wallet and pay directly for what we use. Um, if we did that, there would be a lot more pressure on the service providers. There'd be a lot more questions about how much things cost and there'd be a lot more shopping around. Uh, of some of these services. That's just a fact. Child care. Why? Child care is in disarray. I mean, I don't know what he's talking about here. Um, I see child care centers all over the Houston area. I don't know what he means by it's in disarray. Does he mean it's un unaffordable? Well, you know, the reality is there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of innovation or, uh, capital accumulation in the area of childcare. I mean, you basically have people uh, watching your kids <laughs> while you're at work. And until we figure out how to do that uh, and combine capital with that process, uh, we're not going to be able to lower the cost. It's kind of like the fast food restaurant business or the restaurant business in general. One of the reasons that it's harder and harder to make a living doing that is because there's no way to really bring capital investment into that kind of uh, that kind of business, and so the people working in those places don't make much more year after year, and uh, the food prices just keep going up and up and up. Um, why are the people on the top doing so well? Well. Uh, we've talked about this too. One of the things that people on the top do is they leverage this dishonest money system. They they borrow money uh, in the banking system 
not to buy a house or to buy a car, but to buy businesses. And businesses make money. And they can borrow that money fairly inexpensively and pay it back with dollars that are worth less in the future than they are today. And this is how you get rich. Now, this method is available to anybody, but you have to have enough money up front. You have to have been able to save enough money up front to get the process started. The wealth disparity, again, same, what I just described also describes the wealth disparity. And the corruption in politics is due to Citizens United. I mean, how many times have I, have I told you a story where some corporation lobbied uh, government to advantage itself in the marketplace? What about that corruption? That's, I mean, I don't agree with Citizens United either, but um, the bigger problem is you got these companies where it makes a lot of sense for them to lobby Congress to advantage themselves in the market. And uh, if, there was no, if there was no incentive to do that, they wouldn't do it. They would go back to their office and figure out how to make their products more uh, affordable and uh, more attractive uh, to their customers. And as far as the media, you know, the media is a mess, but the, de- the degree to which it's a mess is in favor of the government. It's in favor of Bernie Sanders and his buddies. So I'm not sure what I see there. I mean, you know, look, you have more alternative media than you've ever had. Shows like this show, Joe Rogan, uh, there's, there's thousands of podcasts, Jimmy Dore, People are doing really good reporting. You can go um, subscribe to Substack and get Glenn Greenwald, Seymour Hirsch. I mean, great journalists. So if you're if you're not getting the news you want, it's just, that's on you. That's a that's a laziness that you need to overcome, or an inability, or uh, let's say this uh, a desire to to buy cable over some Substack subscription is that there are more really strong young progressives often people of color in the house now than probably in any time certainly in my lifetime great people uh and and that is you know if you ask me what my Mm -hmm. i'm most proud of is that so many young people we won the young vote overwhelmingly Mm -hmm. and i think young people are saying we don't want to tinker around the edges anymore, not on climate change, not on racial issues, not on economic issues. We want transformational change. And if my campaign's played a role in changing that consciousness, I'm very proud of that. Yeah, you know, young people, um, I was once a young person, right? But young people are probably the least informed among us. And somehow the Democratic Party has figured out how to tap into young people. And many of them have really bad ideas. You know, climate change is a big one. People are somehow, the the idea that uh, the climate is somehow uh, changing to the degree which is going to threaten life, and this is a an existential threat, they tell us, uh, because sea levels are going to rise, and the earth, the earth is going to warm, and um, we're going to lose uh, forestation, and we're going to lose vegetation, and we're going to starve, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, 
none of that none of that is based on any kind of reality it's all based on these models they put together to run in computers and the idea that you can model something as complex is the entire ecosystem of the earth i think is just absurd and only dumbasses like bernie sanders uh, believe that this is even possible. You know, there's a, there's a million things, maybe a billion things between the earth and the sun. And the sun is the source of our warming. And somehow, some way we have zeroed in on carbon monoxide, or not carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, the very thing that we exhale from our bodies is somehow being the evil cause of climate change. And keep in mind, this is carbon dioxide is, is absorbed by the oceans, by plants, trees. In other words, you know, carbon dioxide goes into trees and then trees exhale, although that's the wrong word, produce oxygen. So there's this symbiotic relationship between carbon dioxide um, and, and oxygen production, which, by the way, humans need to survive. So I don't know. I just think, I think people have fallen for something that's, that's so remotely unlikely that to the degree we let government do anything about it will just automatically make us poor. Um, assuming, assuming something could be done about climate change, assuming there's even a problem, what is it that government could do? That's, that's always what I come back to is, why do we believe that government could actually do something or solve some problem? Whether the problem is you know, a real problem or not, Government isn't good at solving any problems, really. And uh, other than, uh, you know, launching a bunch of troops into an area and killing a bunch of people and dropping bombs, there's really not too much that we can do successfully as a government. You say in the book that Democrats are wrong to suggest that former President Trump supporters are racists, sexists, and homophobes, that they're deplorable. You point out these so-called racists, many of them, voted for Barack Obama, but their lives didn't improve. Do you think that the Democratic Party messaging is just entirely wrong-headed to frame this as a, a broader moral issue? Look, are there, it, are there supporters yeah. of Trump who are racist, sexist, homophobes? Absolutely. But to paint a broad brush and say, well, that's the reason that they don't vote for the Democrats, that is really wrong. Look, I've been all over this country. I have worked with trade unionists, people on strike, people who had the courage to stand up for economic injustice, great people. And I talked to the union leaders, oh, 70% of our people are Republican. Why is that? Because I think they have lost faith that the Democratic Party is gonna stand up and fight for them. And they say, look, Democrats talk, they don't accomplish. Oh, I want to vote for Trump. Maybe yeah, but he'll you do blame something. Democrats going back to Bill Clinton for signing on to NAFTA. You blame Barack Obama. That's right. You're, you're critical of Joe Biden as well here. That's right. All right. In other words, what I have said over and over again, working class people, in my view, are not responding 
primarily, there are other reasons, to the Republican message because they want to cut Social Security, Medicare, and give tax breaks to billionaires. That's not why working class people are voting for them. If the Democrats, in my view, had an agenda that says, we know that your kid can't afford to go to college, and that's why we're going to make higher education or public colleges and universities tuition-free, we know you can't afford childcare, outrageously mm -hmm. expensive. We're going to work on that. We know we're the only country in the world not to guarantee health care is right. You pass a Medicare for a single-payer program. You expand Medicare to cover dental, hearing, and eyeglasses. Democrats ain't going to lose an election for a long, long time. But Yeah, you know, if you're a politician and you stand up in front of people and you give away other people's money in the form of Medicare for all or free college or free child care or whatever he's trying to give away, yeah, you know, people want stuff that other people pay for. I mean, you know, look, when I when I take my kids out to dinner, they want me to pay for it. <laughs> you know? I mean, we're all that way, right? Why would we want to pay for something ourselves if we can get somebody else to pay for it? And the way, you know, our government works is uh, nobody would think to steal from you directly, but they think it's perfectly okay to uh, vote for somebody who steals from you. And look, this concept of economic injustice, I mean, is it economic injustice because you can't afford to go to college? I mean, what, I mean, think about the professor, th just think about all the people that work at the college. You go to college for free and what, how do they get paid? They're there to teach you, but you know, how do you, how do they get paid? I mean, you can't go, there is no such thing as free. Okay. Anytime somebody else has to do what they do so that you can get what you want, then that's not free. That's some sort of exchange. And, and I love how they always uh, characterize the quote unquote rich, you know, they, they talk about working class people, but they always talk about rich people as just always getting tax cuts and things like this. And we've talked about this. We've talked about how that, that last dollar, that marginal dollar that the government taxes is often the most risky dollar. That's the dollar uh, where uh, people use to invest in capital, to invest in savings, to invest in businesses. You know, you don't use your first dollar for that. You use your first dollar to eat or to get shelter for yourself or if you're in the desert, a bottle of water. You know, you might pay $100 for a bottle of water if you're in the desert and you're you're about to die of thirst. But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is your last dollar. You know, where does that last dollar go? And just the reality of the situation is it, it goes into the economy and makes all of our lives better. All right, well, I think I'm going to end on that because I've been talking for a while. I've got, a, I've got more clips, but... It's just more of the same, you know, Bernie Sanders propaganda and his simple-minded way that the world works. And look, I like Bernie Sanders. I think he's a likable guy. I would never vote for him. I think he's a complete imbecile when it comes to economics. But he is a, he is a politician. I mean, he has found a formula that works, and he's tapped into it, and he uses it over and over and over again. And that formula, for, for the most part, works for him. So, well, look, if you like the show, share the show. Uh, but as always, most importantly, come back and listen. And if you do, I'll be here tomorrow to do it all over again on Who Gets to Decide.